I want to uh, share a message with you today, and um, I've simply entitled this message, Hiding from God, and it's the Genesis account of Adam and Eve when they sinned and how they hid from the Lord. And so we're going to read the scriptures. Um, I've put a number of them on the screen for us, but I'd invite you to turn, if you have your Bibles, to Genesis chapter 3. And we're going to read from verse 1 all the way through to verse 8, those eight verses, not a very, very long passage. But just to get it in our hearts and minds, I'll speak this morning and then we'll, we'll worship and praise uh, some more after that. Genesis chapter 3, and we'll start at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good from evil and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This is our uh, this is our history. This is our history. You know, uh, some of us enjoyed history and others struggled with it, but nevertheless, we're all affected by it. Our backgrounds and how we are where we are today is because of the background that led us to it. And so when we read these passages, they are sobering to us because these are our, if you will, our first parents. I had a thought as I read through it, and all the times that I've read through this, I never had this thought, because we often ask ourselves about Eve taking of the fruit and then giving it to her husband, and it says that they both ate it. He was there with her. That's not particularly unlike my household. Now, I hope we're not eating forbidden fruit, but when Don puts food in front of me, I eat it. I just, I just eat it. Anyway, that's, that's for free. I never thought of that before. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized in verse 7 that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. They say that um, it's not uncommon for people, and I, I don't need to do a, a survey here, but it's not uncommon for people to have a dream periodically or at least once in your life where you're in a public setting and you're suddenly embarrassed because you're in your pajamas or you forgot to put your pants on or something crazy like that. Don't put your hand up. Has anybody had a dream like that? But anyway, those, those are just those kinds of dreams. Well, this, is, uh, the, this first couple, it, it wasn't a dream. 
they were suddenly, they were suddenly in that situation where they realized the, the innocence that had been there before was gone and they entered a, a phase that was not what was promised to them and it was so damaging to them and to us. It, it's really the birth of shame. Imagine a world where there's no shame. You can imagine it if you've had kids. If you've had kids, you, you see the, uh, uh, an infant into toddler and the, just the unrestricted, unequivocal innocence of their life. Can you imagine that being a part of our adulthood? It's impossible for us to really. This was the birth of shame. It was the first hide-and-seek game, <laughs> if you will, because they hid from the Lord and it was a loss of innocence. There's only twice that the serpent speaks in this passage, and it's the only time that we, we know of the serpent speaking here. But it was enough to cause there to be a shift. It was enough to upset the balance of trust and obedience between the man and the woman and God. Implied by the questions that God was keeping from them. If you know, we, we know this. We know our language. We know what it means to gossip. The Bible says we're not to gossip. If you, if you want to sort of get a little bit nosy and pushy and insert yourself, you can start to say, well, did, did so, so-and-so say that? Which, which immediately casts a, uh, cast a shadow on them. We understand the nuances of this thing really well. And, uh, but, but Eve wasn't seeing it because he was holding the fruit before her, or at least what looked like would be the fruit, it began to sort of crack the trust, not totally trusted. Can God really be trusted? Did God really say, in verse 1, and then in verse 5, for God knows, then he says the second night, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. I mean, they were like God. They were created in God's image. And, um, you know, isn't it interesting how the serpent really doesn't have, uh, Satan has nothing new to give. Uh, he, he tried to give Jesus what he already had. Do you remember that in the wilderness? He said, uh, bow down and, and worship. And, and, you know, I will give you all the kings in the world. He already had all the kingdoms of the world. He already won that. Um, it's just not all realized yet. They, they were like God. So he was, he was holding this carrot in front of them. And this was a direct challenge to the main themes, uh, one of the main themes of chapters 1 and 2. And this is one of the main themes of chapter 1 and 2. God is good. God is good. We, we see it. He's, he's a good father. He, he's, a, he's a creator. Um, he, he loves to give gifts. You can trust Him. You can follow Him. You, you can obey Him. Uh, because He's not there to hurt you. He's there to help you. He, he's there to give. And that's so important for us to get that ingrained in our mind because it will be tested. And the enemy will test us and bring circumstances that cause us. And the enemy will come and say, well, did God really say He loves you? Did God really? God is good. And he has a plan that is bigger. So let me read some of the verses about God being good. Genesis 2.8, Now the Lord God had planted, we can leave that scripture up there the whole time if we can there, Chris. 
Now, the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden. He planted a garden. God planted the garden. God planted the garden. They, they didn't even have to plant the garden. Wouldn't, can you imagine? Can you imagine? That's sort of like actually living close to my dad, actually, now that I think about that. And that's not in my notes either. Um, it, it's sort of like we wake up and dad, well, he just quit his garden, but he's had it all these years. And there's a garden. And we get produce from a garden that we didn't plant. It's amazing. Just things show up. It's amazing. They planted a pretty amazing garden, too. And stay away from Uncle Jim when it's zucchini time. You may have about a whole trunk load of them. <laughs> God gave them a garden. In verse 9, And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground. Trees that were what? Really ugly to look at. No, it says trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Good. He was, uh, verse 21, so God created every living creature of the sea and every living thing. He, he created the creative power of God. Uh, verse 18, and then on top of it all, the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. And he created. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Creation, a garden, plants, animals, a helper for Adam in, in the coming of the first woman. So in verse 6, we have the first verse, someone other than God to declare it was good. And, and it is the woman, and uh, it is just really before this, this tragic, vital move of disobedience. Now the woman expresses her, her thoughts her assessment in the last moments. The woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food. Now this happens to be the tree that God said, don't eat of this tree. Don't eat of this tree. She saw that it was good. And so by the way, for now, uh, we will refer to Adam as Adam, but we will refer to um, who we know as Eve. We will refer to her as, as the woman. Now that is not meant to be a slam, ladies. It's just that it's interesting, and I hadn't noticed this before. At this point in the Scriptures, Eve hasn't been named. She, her name doesn't come out till verse 20 of chapter 3. And uh, now, that, that's making a lot of assumptions that there's a, a perfect chronology here. I understand that. But, but for now, and I got thinking, well, you know, maybe, because it says Adam actually named her Eve. Eve is what it says there. Um, and I got thinking, well, maybe he just, he, he was waiting for a publisher to come out with a wife's name book or something so he could come up with the right. <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but that's why I'm referring to Adam and the woman at this point. Because at this point, at least in the narrative as it's written for us, we don't have Eve. Okay? So just to give you a little thought there of what I'm, what I'm doing. Did God really say... So it infers that God is withholding. And so this temptation, it's not presented as some kind of a big, let's rebel against God. And seldom is it. Seldom is it that temptations come in such a big package like that. They come more subtly, uh, less radical. It appears to be an innocent quest um, for more 
wisdom and knowledge. What could possibly be wrong with that? Some of the things that God has given us as guidelines in His Word, what, what could be wrong with that? It's, it's no big deal. And yet He is our Creator. Would we trust Him? Will we trust Him today? When God gives us boundaries, does He give them to make our life miserable? The world would say absolutely. And we would say absolutely not. Boundaries that God gives us are for our protection and so that we will form and become what He wants us to become. The knowledge of good and evil. But now good, apart from God, because this wasn't coming from God. Uh, this wasn't, God wasn't speaking here up until this point. God had been conversing with them and leading them, but this wasn't God speaking to them. This would be good that was provided outside of God. She saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also for gaining wisdom. And she began to hunger for a wisdom that, that was beyond God. So what did she do? Tragically, she took it and she ate it. She gave in to temptation. And we can recognize the difficulty, the pain, the stab of our hearts when we give in to temptation and how it, it displeases our own spirit. And she's experiencing something for the very first time and how it displeases the Spirit of God. Directly against God's Word. And, and the Lord God commanded, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. It, there was just so much vastness here. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he even supplies the reason. He didn't have to, but he even gives the reason. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Um, God is not only the creator of life, but the sustainer of life. And uh, thanks God for creating us. Now leave us alone. We'll do it ourselves. <laughs> thanks, Mom and Dad, for having me in your home and feeding and cleaning and providing everything in the world, but I'm just going to do everything now by, right? Prodigal son all over again. And lots of our kids have those moments. And we wait for them to cry out to us again. It was a promise to be like God and to have more. For God knows, verse 5, that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So again, it's ironic that they were already like God. They were created in the image of God. Did you know that the Bible says that mankind was created in, in the image of God? Um. Well, they did get new knowledge, but it didn't come with the promise. It didn't come with the glory. It, it wasn't as tantalizing as it looked on the front end. And sin never is. And temptation, it, it will destroy us. You know, I couldn't help but think of, I couldn't help but think of drugs in our culture. And I know that there are some in our own community and congregation who have struggled in these areas. It's so difficult. If, if we could somehow convince our young people, never touch it. Run from it. Never one time sniff it. Because it is deadly. It destroys. And yet, and yet, here we are. Here we are. So I was remembering Jeremiah's words to the people. And I'm going to go in a quite a different direction for a moment. Jeremiah 2.13. 
This is what Jeremiah would say many, many years later to, to God's people who had turned from the Lord, from trusting the Lord. So in a, in a sense, they're not that different than their, their first mother and father, Adam, and in this particular point, the woman. Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two sins. Now it's interesting, the, um, the, the, I'll, I'll call it the pagan culture of that time. We're talking ancient times here. All of the, they had committed one sin with a whole bunch of tributaries, but, but they had committed one sin, but God's people had committed two sins. That God's people actually had a greater grievance to God than the nations around them. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me. Okay, the other cultures had turned their back on God. And, and it says the springs of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Archaeology shows if there's one thing that we find in the Middle East in archaeology, in fact, one of the most common things to find are cisterns. And it sort of makes sense if you think it through a little bit. They're, they tend to be underground, so they last longer than things that are above the ground. And so there's just all kinds of cisterns. There's no problem for us to verify they needed cisterns. They were in dry, parched culture half of the time, and they needed some kind of holding places for their water, and so they had cisterns. And he said, you've decided to give up the spring of living water, the gusher of life, and dig your own cisterns that are broken and they cannot hold water. And God was grieved. Instead of good, the new knowledge they got was to experience their first moments outside of God. They were exposed. Um, the fear, can you imagine the absolute terror of this? Their own nakedness, no longer like each other, ashamed of that nakedness. They would, now, they would know the knowledge of evil. All right, but good would be spoiled and so tainted. They still bore God's image, but now they were flawed. And so, here's what they did. And, and it, it's comical if it wasn't so tragic. They sewed fig leaves together to hide their differences from one another, to cover their shame, and to hide from God. And now, I, what do you think of when you think about wearing leaves? Now, I'm being sort of serious here. I, I Camouflage. We, we still wear leaves today. Um, what, a, what a great way to hide. If you're going to hide, camouflage, cover yourself with leaves. I, uh, I brought leaves. They, they laughed at me yes, yesterday. I was at the Sheffields, and I'm out there with a bag collecting, uh, collecting leaves. Welcome to fall. Sorry, Lois. <laughs> I looked up as Howard was giving a show. He was giving an elbow to Lois. <laughs> you know, it's, it really is something, isn't it? Um, these aren't fig leaves. We know these are maple leaves. But, but they took leaves, and they tried to hide themselves from God at the very first sound of his coming. Um, I'm guessing that today, if it had happened today, and it was in Canada that probably maybe they would have tried to cover themselves with leaves because they certainly are plentiful. If, if you've got a lack of them, let us know, and we'll give you some. 
there's certainly lots of leaves around. So I, I'm assuming that fig leaves were really plentiful. I got thinking too, you know, we make assumptions. Boy, the Garden of Eden, they could have had some great big old fig leaves. They could have big ones. Maybe they were the first clothing wraps. But it tells us they still had to sew them together so it didn't wrap all the way around. And so they sewed leaves together. And they discovered what it was to feel shame. And they, they hid and they covered themselves. And they realized, realized the sins because of their deeds. They had given a, been given a boundary, a, a law, a command, a, a, a warning. If you do this, like it, it wasn't just some kind of an arbitrary thing. Like, because that's how people often think of God. They, that He's sort of arbitrary. He's just trying to make our lives miserable. Um, I had a 10-minute talk with a taxi cab driver in Toronto this summer. And uh, within our discussion, I was a pastor. He was a psychotherapist. So he's a taxi cab driver and he's a psychotherapist. And, and he's talking to me about sin. And, and so, uh, anyway, there was a lot to the conversation, but so, so how could God be so arbitrary? And, how could, and, and God, it's not like he just puts these boundaries up so that we're just miserable. In fact, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. I came that you'd have, that's what we do with our kids. We just make them so miserable by not letting them run out on the highway. We make them so miserable by saying you can't, you can't have substances in your life and you, you can't eat wrong and you can't, we make them so miserable. We're setting them up for a good life and God was setting them up for a good life and yet they, they went against him. I remember the first time and, and I tried to think back as far as I could I think I can remember the first time where I felt the personal shame of stepping over my mother and father's boundaries. And uh, maybe it wasn't the first, but it's, it seems like it was. I, uh, I was eating, I believe it was porridge, and I, I didn't like it. And my mom said, you eat it. And when she went out of the room, I can still remember going out that back door and I took a whole bunch of it and I threw it out in the back grass there. And then I came back to make it look like I was still eating. And I can, what I remember the most, I can remember going out back, I can remember coming, I can remember how badly something in me felt. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? At a young age, and I had to be really young, but I felt it. I felt shame. I, I, I knew that wasn't the thing to do. And it had nothing really, well, it had, the porridge was not the issue. And neither was the fruit. It wasn't the issue. It was the trust. Well, I felt the weight. And so did they. They discovered their helplessness. They relied on their deeds then to make them to be like God. So, so it's interesting. They, they were said, you know, you will, you will, God, did he really say this? You'll become like God. And, and now they've done it. And now they've got all of this conflict and all of this shame and, and this hiding thing that never existed before. And so now they just jump into gear and they do what we tend to do. And they just, well, we'll fix it. And, and we'll fix it. We've got the perfect Teflon, the best material known to humankind. We'll fix it. We'll sow leaves. I don't know which one of them came up with the idea. We'll sow leaves. <clears throat> they tried to make things right on their own initiative. 
Um, here they dissipated, they'd sinned, and they'd seen their nakedness, and they just, just tried to cover it up. They tried to cover it up. Fig leaves are unsuitable to cover a person, in case you hadn't really thought that through. And here's a few reasons why. They aren't strong enough for the task, at least not for any length of time. They can't withstand the stress that's applied to them. They're certainly not durable enough. Uh, they wear out. Uh, leaves dry out on top of it, and they fall to pieces quickly. They aren't protective. There's no particular protection from them. Um, and we see parallels, I think, and I'm going to read them to you that I've written here, parallels of our deeds in trying to obtain God's favor. That sometime, somehow we try to cover our own sin and we try to become our own remedy. We try to hide our nakedness and our inadequacy under piles, if you will, of, of leaves. Uh, piles of good works. Uh, piles of self-effort to show that we're acceptable, acceptable to God. Our deeds, they're not strong enough to cover our sin. If they were, why would we have needed Jesus? Our deeds, they can't hold up under the stress of sin's consequences. Our deeds aren't durable enough for the task. They're temporary. They can't satisfy an eternal penalty. You see, this, this, was, this was a cutoff. This was a separation. Uh, our deeds aren't protective enough for the safety uh, safety from what the Bible, the King James calls it, the fiery darts of the enemy, of the devil. The internal struggles of sin and the weakness of our souls cannot be overcome by deeds. Instead, they leave us in the same sad shape or even worse than we were in. And so the pattern continues. We do wrong. We try to hide our wrong. And the reality is we don't get our stab at the garden like Adam and Eve to see if somehow we're the lottery exception. You see, we all want to be the exception. We read this and we go, shame on Adam and Eve. I'll do better. And the problem is um, we, we've got their DNA. Uh, we, we have a, a generational curse. Not unlike generational curses that are passed down from, from parents to us, uh, generational maladies, physical things. I mean, we deal with all kinds of things. You can take all kinds of examples. You can talk about uh, diabetes gets sometimes passed down. Sometimes heart disease comes from our past. And uh, fetal alcohol syndrome, those are issues that get passed down. Did, that, did we do anything to deserve those things? No, they just got passed down. And we've had something that's been passed down. There's no, there's no I'll do better than Adam and Eve available to us. We weren't born in the garden because the garden's closed off to us. And we want it to be that way. Well, I'll do better. I, I can do it. They, they were weak, but I'll be strong. And, and that's just sort of like God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble because there's no way through that. We can't be strong enough, disciplined enough, good enough in our own merit. And that's why Isaiah said, my my righteousness was like a filthy rag when he saw himself compared to God. We, we can't measure up. 
Romans 3.23 sort of nails it for us. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. 1 John 1.10, if we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and our, his word has no place in our lives. Uh, so we've been, we've been born into a situation. Um, 1 Corinthians 15.22, for as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. So, you know, what about this surely die thing? And God said you will surely die. Adam didn't die physically, so what happened here? He he died spiritually. Every human since that time has been born spiritually dead. Does that mean there's not goodness in us? Of course, we have the image of God, but we're in a, we're in a form of, of malfunction compared to where we were with God. And our spirit comes alive in Christ when he, he sets us free in the sense that he makes our spirit alive that we are able to commune with God. You see, what happened is they lost communion with God. They were, they were banned from heaven, the garden. They were banned from the garden. Adam and Eve died spiritually the moment they ate the fruit, and all the people are born who are born into Adam are spiritually dead. It's hard for us to, to grasp this. The premise of the Bible all that are born into sin and are thus separated from God at conception. And God would have a people. God made a way. The only thing that can correct this is a new birth. It's coming into a new birth. It's an acceptance of the Creator's Son. He sent His Son so that He could pay the price of redemption because our forefathers had blown it. And we were born into a situation. They sought to become like God, but it made them less like God. It separated them from God, and it leaves us with the same dilemma. Their spiritual death at that moment and their works testified against them. I mean, their works testified against them. The best um, in a court, the loudest testimony is your own actions. It's just that simple. The loudest testimony is your own uh, actions. I'm going to look at one more scripture, and we're going to call the team up in a moment. Revelation 3.17. Now, this may seem like a pretty big jump here. It is going from Genesis to Revelation in that sense, the first to the last. Revelation 3.17, this is God speaking to the church at Laodicea, one of the seven churches that a message was given to. And I'm just reading a portion of the message. We're not going to unpack it much. But th this particular church, he says, you say... I have acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing. He's talking to the church. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness. So God is the one to cover their nakedness. They didn't realize that they were naked, is what it says. And he says, I counsel you, buy from me gold. Get from me what it takes to cover your nakedness. I'm the one who can cover, not your self-righteous efforts. God, we have everything we need. We're good to go. Uh, they, you said, I'm rich. We have lots. We have plenty. We're good. God said, no, no, you're not. No, you're not. How many times have we said that to our kids? 
no, you're not ready. I'm, I'm ready to go. No, no, you're not. But okay, then. <laughs> go to it. And we find out. We find out. John 6, 28. Um, then they, the crowds, asked Jesus, what must we do to do the works that God requires? And Jesus answered, the work that you must do is this, believe in the one he has sent. In other words, put your trust in my provision. That's the way through this thing. What must we do to get to heaven? What must we do to be right? The way to do it is believe. I am the one to cover you. I'm the one that will cover your sin. And so like the Laodicean church, Adam and Eve, they became wretched. It's such a tragic history. Thought they would gain everything, and what they got was a, a, a kick in the gut, as they say. They, they, they received such harm. I am rich. I have acquired wealth. I do not need a thing. Instead, like the church in Laodicea, they became wretched, a hard existent from stubborn soil. Uh, the cursed ground is what it says in 3.17. Because of you, through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. How often, I, I've got thinking, how often would they reflect over the years of their life with such regret of the trouble and pain and sorrow and what they had given up in the garden? They became poor like the church at Laodicea. No longer riches of the garden, but the thorns of the earth. No longer the waters of life. Instead, waters from wells dug into the land, which you had to use your own strength to pull up. They became blind. And that's the spiritual aspect. Rumors of another world. Uh, the spiritual realm. And, and we get a taste of it. We can feel it. The Bible says that eternity is planted in the heart of man. But it's blind. We see through, as Paul says, a glass darkly. We understand instinctively within us that there is more to this world, there's more to this life, and yet it is so darkened like the fog in front of the headlights on a very difficult night. We can't see it, but it's there. They became blind and they became naked, exposed. And then God shows up. And I'm going to have the team. Come on up, team. Get into place. God shows up. Verse 8. Let's put it on the screen. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife Eve hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. It's interesting, the expression, and I, and I almost decided to stop right before I read this verse for us, but I decided to just go a little bit farther here. It's interesting, the expression, heard the sound of the Lord God, is an extremely common phrase throughout the Pentateuch. Pentateuch is the five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first five books of the Bible. It's a common phrase that we see various places. But the word heard, it in itself is a, is a rebuke, a regretful rebuke to them. Because the word heard, it means to hear, listen, and obey. And all the way through is the word that's used in this phrase through the Pentateuch, Heard the sound of the Lord God. Heard means to hear and obey. Hear and obey. And the very thing, it was the reminder that the one thing that was required of them was to follow God's command, was to trust Him. It was the only thing that would have maintained the garden for them. That would have maintained the blessing, but they gave the blessing away by, by deciding to do it their own way. 
It's an expression for the Lord's call to obedience. He is the giver of life. He is the creator of all. He can be trusted. Um, He is the one who cares for us. Hear him, listen to him, obey him. And I'll give us just one example. Deuteronomy 5, uh, 25. I don't have it on the screen, I don't think, Chris. God appearing to the people at Mount Sinai. You remember that? Moses goes on the mountain. God says, bring the people close. I'm going to appear to them. And God, this is it. They've come out of Egypt, and he's trying to reinstate his people to, to, to come back to Jehovah God. And what do they say? But now should we die? This great fire will consume us, and we will die if we hear the voice of the Lord our God. It's the same phrase. And it, it's all through. Hear the voice of the Lord our God. And the word hear has to do with hearing and obedience. It is through listening that we obey. Adam's response was much the same as the people at the mountain. And it's much as the same as us today. They were afraid. They stayed at a distance. There was shame. There was their past. There was this sense of self-effort. They were still in their, in their pocket was the jingling of little gold coins, and they were just ready to get Moses on the mountain so they could make something else. And they made a golden calf because they were ready to put on their own leaves. They were ready to cover themselves with their own self-efforts. They sought to do it their own way. And so in conclusion, you can't hide from an all-seeing God. I can't. Um, I can't save myself. The predicament that we've all been born with, and the good news is, we're here talking about ultimate things. The good news is, what do we do? What do we do? We, we put our trust in the one who died for us. We, we put our trust in him. Uh, we have a predicament that God, through Christ, has remedied. Our fear, our self-effort, our shame, our hiding, they can cease. And it's by faith. It's so simple it becomes profoundly hard for people because we so want to cover up with the materials that we have that are so inadequate. We can now cease. It is a return to fellowship with God, a trusting in His care and His loving commands. Heavenly Father, I thank You for Your Word. We're just walking through a Scripture today and we've just sort of begun to unpack some of the stuff that's there for us. But I pray, God, that you would teach us today that even though we started out pretty tough, um, our, our generational line had a really difficult beginning. And even though we've got a predicament because of it, that you have made a way for us. And we don't have to hide any longer because we feel the shame of our sin. We feel that sharp pang of regret over the very things that we have done. But God, we offer ourselves to you, realizing that there is forgiveness through Christ, that someone has paid the price for us, and we are no longer spiritually dead. And in fact, we will live forever with you because of what Christ did for us. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. You are God. You've done this for us. Praise your name, O God. Thank you for having mercy to us. You could have left us. You could have just forsaken us. But you didn't. And here we are with the glory of your presence available to everyone who will bow. We pray this in Jesus' name.
Amen. 